Well, as we jump back in Ephesians as a review, here's where we are, and we'll take it to where we're going. First three chapters, um, as we have been saying, is that it's a de- declaration of who we are in Christ. It's who you are in Christ. The last three chapters, then, is an invitation to live like it's true. Our new identity, as we take it back, of just a little preview in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, it means that we're a new creation. Chapter 1, we are just introduced to this idea and this powerful truth that God chose us in him. And Christ is summing up all creation under him, reconciling heaven and earth. Chapter two, we saw that he's not only reconciling heaven and earth, but he's reconciling man, Jew and Gentile, into one community, which is the church. Chapter three, this mystery was uh, of the gospel that Jews and Gentiles are one church, uh, was revealed to Paul, who was made a minister to preach that gospel, just what Kay's testimony was speaking of, and it ends off in this prayer, amazing prayer, that we would experience the surpassing love of Christ that just surpasses even all knowledge. And Paul says, this is what we've been called to. The last three chapters are just an invitation into that. Paul uses the word walk a lot, and in four, chapter four, verses one through 16, he tells us to walk in unity, in growth, into maturity. And then Ephesians four seventeen to 32, he tells us to walk in purity in all things, imitating Christ's selfless love, and we see that in Ephesians 5, one through two. And as Jake had uh, mentioned a couple weeks ago, um, as we walk in love, how fast is that? Can you ever measure the speed of love? And he told us, yeah, you can. It's three miles an hour because that's the, the rate of which we walk and Jesus walked as he loved on people, as he stopped um, and, and stopped for hurting people and the broken and the needing um, and just was loving them where they were at as he was walking out um, his journey, um, uh, eventually pouring out his life to the cross. Now in our passage, he tells us now to walk in love and also in light. And we're going to see that we're called to countercultural living. That's what we're being called here to do. And it is being filled with the Spirit. That's what enables us to live out a world that's counter to the sin in this world. And he calls on us to live wisely, to redeem every moment. And then he zooms in on specific relational um, structures and, and relationships, our marriages, our households, and workplaces. And then it brings it back to even the world, because remember, God is creating one new creation under him, and even bringing the spiritual, rebellious spiritual forces at bay into his sovereign will. And we see that that's the rest of the roadmap in Ephesians 6, that he is bringing everything under the plan to build the new creation under Christ through this new community, which is the church. And so that is what we're going to go to today. Two points, simple two points. We follow Jesus in countercultural living through spirit-filled living. And we walk in love and light, by exposing the darkness, and then we expose the darkness by encountering the Spirit. So let's take a look at that first point, that we follow Jesus in this dark culture through countercultural living. Look with me in verses 3 through 10. And we're going to see two points in how we live out this 
countercultural life. First is that we part with the dark in verses 3 through 10, and then we counter or call out the dark. So first, we part with the dark. In other words, we part ways, and in a sense, we break up with sin. Now, Scripture doesn't expose and doesn't say that to expose the culture, but it says to expose the darkness. I just want to say that culture is not inherently evil. You can have a good culture, which we love here at Hope. The sense of transparency and vulnerability of sharing our struggles is a part of hope. That when you see us, hopefully you will see an authentic reflection of biblical Christianity. So culture is good or is neutral, and it could be good or it can be toxic. We've all been, many of us probably have been in toxic cultures or cultures in which it's inherently not life-giving, but it's draining. And so what the scripture says is that we should confront the sin in the culture. And at this time, the Ephesians, they were in a sex-crazed immoral, violent culture. They were in a, in a culture that was filled with covetousness and gods as far as you can see. And the Ephesians were just tempted to live this lie that how they lived did not have to change, even though they believed in Christ. That they didn't need to die to their sins uh, and, and of, of, that was celebrated in the culture. It was accepted in the culture. And they were just deceived in saying, hey, you don't have to change a thing. You can still say you're a Christian, say you're a believer, but not have to change your life. But look at verses three through six, and Paul invites them to a clear break from the world. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as improper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of the things, the wrath of God comes upon the sins of disobedience. And so, what we see here is that if we were to live counterculturally, our sexual ethic has to be different from the world. The Greek word here is porneia, which includes all sexual sins, not just things like pornography, but adultery and lust, sex trafficking, homosexuality, prostitution, and the like. The second word is akatharsia. Ak- 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 say that with me. Akatharsia. I can't even say it. Um, it's just formed out of the word English word catharsis I'll stick to the English words which means cleansing as something cathartic cleanses us the acatharsis pollutes us and so this is making no mistake that this sexual sin pollutes us things like adultery things like lust it pollutes God's glory because it perverts God's design and it pollutes um, the people that God has created it does not, like smog, uh, blocks and uh, a clear sky, which we saw that a lot of that growing up in Los Angeles. But it distorts the very meaning of marriage as a sign of covenant between one man and one, one woman. It pollutes the image of God in people. 
And whenever you engage in whatever that sexual sin you are tempted to do, you are basically saying, I love what God hates. You need, and we need, to know that there is something better that the world offers us. The world offers us counterfeit, counterfeit pleasures. It's like whenever you're looking into the pantry and you're looking for something to eat and you see that candy come out, whatever it is, whatever is your, your fix, and you're like, ooh, that Andy's or that Snickers is going to, that's going to just make me so full and so joyful. I'm going to be riding on the clouds. I'm going to have a wonderful week. And you're just like, if only I could have that candy. But when you eat it, it gives you like a second of joy. And then the whole night you're like regretting that you even ate the thing because you end up eating like five of them. And uh, even though you clean out your pantry, you're like, man, this is not enough. And that's what sin in the sexual realm and any sin, really, it is terribly bad at keeping its promises. Sin is the greatest deceiver, and we need to be parting with the dark. In fact, it says that, you know, you, that, that these sins should not be uh, named among you. And so if you are currently battling temptations, but you have fallen into guilt and shame, and you feel conquered rather than being the conqueror, I hear you, it's not easy. But I wanna say to you, confess your sins so that you may be healed. Jesus has already forgiven us of our sins, just what we talked about in Romans 8, the call to worship that Monica shared. Therefore, those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation in Christ. But... There is healing and repentance that needs to take place. And friends, if you think you can love Jesus without hating um, what Jesus hates, that's a different gospel. You need to reject the lies of pornography and adultery that will give you what you're looking for. It's like false candy or just candy um, in the midst of the true pleasures and the joy that a life Walking in the kingdom of God can only offer you. We're also to live counterculturally by battling greed. Um, the scriptures talk about uh, not just sexual immorality, but it talks about um, just covetousness. And, and the culture also lies to us in saying that if you only have this smartwatch, you will be fulfilled. If you only have this acceptance by whatever group or organization, you're going to feel loved. If you only have this car or Jeep or truck, you are going to be fulfilled. Again, it is a lie. And one of the guys I know from F3 told this story, a really heartbreaking story of, in which this covetousness got the better of a pastor that, uh, that of a church that he had attended for a while. And um, they had gone through their, fin their church finances and then talked through it every month or so. And every single time you'll see this line item that just remained unquestionably high. And it was for the worship um, equipment. And he would look at the worship stuff and like, no, they're not getting any new stuff. And so, but every single time, every single month, it would be riding high until he realized that this pastor 
was using this worship fund for his own gain. This lack of integrity just scarred this brother from ever even just wanting to go back to church. And I can't tell you how much that grieves me, but also just if you can't imagine that, imagine how much that grieves the heart of God in which covetousness has leaked in and seeped in to those who should be leading us. And so this is just a warning to us of like, man, just even the little things that you do on a daily basis, even the things that you say no to, I'm so thankful for people who are saying, man, I am just feeling led by the Spirit to fast. And just this idea of just saying, I do not need everything that Amazon Prime Day offers. Um, but I just need Christ. Um, we need that. We, uh, amen? We need to fast. We are so overdone by things and stuff and, and materialism that it just becomes these mini-gods that we bow down to. They're like little Artemises or little Dianas, just like in the Greek culture that we're just bowing down to. And um, yes, I do use Amazon. I'm not banging on Amazon and bashing on that, but I think we just, we covet things so much. Um, and we need to go against the culture in that. Okay, moving on. Verse four, we go to a culture where it prizes filthy speech. And I'm not gonna say much about that. Everyone knows and maybe has heard things that, jokes that just, you know, can be interpreted in a bad way. It's those double entendres, right? Um, and Paul says this because he's saying, hey, look at your life. Your heart should be pure from the inside out, even to the things that you say. And Paul says that if you become children of light, your hearts down to your very word must be bathed in the light and not the dark. And you're thinking to yourself, why is Paul just have this harsh tone, especially when he's hit a high note about being imitators of God um, and, and of Christ? Well, I think it's because God hates adultery. And these sins of immorality and covetousness and filthy speech is symptomatic of idolatry. What is an idol? Tim Keller, uh, the late uh, pastor Tim Keller says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and Im imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Again, it's not wrong to want something that is good, but it is wrong to want something more than God and to make that your ultimate good. And you see that our hearts are an idol factory, right? Our highest and the highest best-selling idol on the bookshelves is, is self-idolatry. The God of love who poured out his life in love um, and he poured out your, his life for that sin and now you're gonna go and love something that he died for. That's not imitation. That's rebelliousness. And we dare not play around with God's justice and wrath we don't cheapen God's grace and justice because when we live for our idols, we're basically saying this, Jesus, I don't think it's really true you're coming back. All this stuff in the scriptures, it's not really true. All these things about your kingdom come and your will be done and holiness and that we gotta keep the marriage bed on the all that stuff is just a joke. And you're saying that 
And you're basically saying Jesus is not coming to judge the living and the dead. Friends, brothers, sisters, hear me out. I hope that you don't say this to say that God is just a wrathful, only a wrathful God because his love is at the very heart of everything that he does. He loves us, but he loves more than just us. He loves himself because he's the highest good. He is the highest love. He is the highest, most glorious being in all the universe. And for him just to put up with sexual sin or any sin is to do, was to, to, to contradict his own character. He wouldn't be God. Um, and Paul doesn't use this, though, this holiness, this wrath, as a means, he actually uses that the best way to counteract the sexual sin and immorality is gratitude and joy. And the reason being is this, is that immorality and sin and covetousness, it all ties down to idolatry of self. And so, but thanksgiving is the exact opposite in which the antidote, it is the antidote of the recognition of God's generosity. That it's not about us, but it's really about God. And that's why he says that here. And that we cannot just part with the dark, but we also cannot stand as co-partners with sin. Look at verses 7 through um, 14. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Um, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of life, for the fruit of life, light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness and instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And I'll comment on the last verse 14, but I'll just say this. Paul doesn't just part with sin. He says don't become partners with them, but also that you're called to call out sin. You're called to counter sin because of who you are, because God has passionately loved you and he's poured out his son's uh, blood for you uh, to be able to love him and to be able to live for him. God has called you to be more, to walk in the light of your identity and to be passionate about what, good, what is good and what is right and what is true. In other words, he's not created you for these silly candy pleasures. He's cons con considered you worthy to receive of more. And it doesn't mean that we just stiff arm people who um, are just not getting it or just living in um, lifestyles that we uh, do not uh, agree with the scriptures on and the scriptures agree on. It's not saying that. It's saying that if you tend to hang with these folks, and let them have influence in your life, they can seep in. Now, there are times in which you have to put firm and strict boundaries on that. But being partners uh, means participating with them in their sins of sexual immorality or covetousness or filthy talk. The thing is, if you're, if you're not careful, then the culture will suck you back in. And the best way to counter the dark, as it says here, is that you walk as children of life, for the fruit of life is found in all that is good and right and true. This what it means is just that we need to give not just a, a harsh rap on sin, but we also have to have a, a beautiful picture of what truth and goodness and grace and love looks like. In other words, we can't just be harping on sin, 
but we're not giving people a view of heaven, of his goodness and his beauty. Um, and it was just really great. I, I might have mentioned this, but during Advent season, we got to just take a break from our rhythms and we felt led just to look at works of art, works of art from Jan van Eyck, van Eyck and other people about the Annunciation, and just to see our kids to be able to grow in the wonder of the incarnation and then ultimately the crucifixion. Hopefully we'll be able to see works of art like that. And then maybe I would really love to just give us um, just and show them pictures of heaven, of what that actually looks like. But it just engage with them this sense of beauty that we are living for something even greater than what we see in this world. And so I think the biggest thing for us is that we not, are not to be so busy locking our hearts with sinful culture but we are just locking arms with the beauty of God um, and just letting our desires change so that the fruit of what is good and right and true is, is the vision that we're giving the people around us, even our kids. So parents, I wanna ask you, are you not only saying, don't do this, don't do that, but what is the beauty of God and the love of God and the goodness of God that you're cultivating in your home. Because you know what? If we give our kids a vision, and Johnny Erickson Tata tells us this, that our view of heaven is just lazy. Um, but if we, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty good stuff. <laughs> it's just lazy. And we need to show them back to the scriptures. It's not just playing on a harp and getting wings and singing songs. Yes, there's a lot of songs singing, but it is amazing when you think about heaven, I was on a call with my friend who is in prison right now, serving out a sentence. And one of the things he was telling me and just gushing over is, man, can we have a vision of where, who our God is, how beautiful he is, and how glorious it will be when we're in heaven? I mean, when you think about the capital city in heaven, and when you take a look at Revelation 21 and Daniel 7 and Daniel 9 and all these pictures of what Jesus taught us about heaven, not only the city is the size of North America and Canada, that's like the size of the city, but it's like a big giant cube that goes for uh, miles and miles as big as a couple continents. And if you think that's the capital city, how greater is the kingdom of heaven. Give your picture and, and think about how beautiful it is to be at the feet of Jesus Christ, to see his face and his love and his goodness and his holiness, to know that we will be just plumbing the very depths of eternity, just a fraction of his glory, fraction of his glory. Verse 11 through 15 talks about that. It talks about how we need to counter the darkness and um, it gives some quotations, three quotations, two from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, calls us to awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And those two uh, passages, one is from Isaiah 26, 19, and it just pictures Israel, just drunk and dizzy in wrath um, uh, and staggering, kind of like a guy who is hungover or drunk. 
and Israel is just uh, totally intoxicated. And the second quotation is, arise from the dead, that Israel, once drunk from her sin, has just been awakened. Once she was destined for wrath, but now a new season for her has begun. And then the last one is from the New Testament, a quotation from Luke 172, where it says that Christ and the light of the salvation is come upon and dawned on them like the sunrise. And those who were formerly in darkness and sin have now been bathed with the light of Christ. And they've been summoned to live absolutely new lives. In the same way, we are called brothers, sisters, guests, friends, family, in the same way to live counterculture. You might say, well, can I do that? How can I do that? That just seems so impossible. That just seems absolutely bogus, man. It just sounds so crazy. And you, you think to yourself, well, can we actually be a light to this darkness? I just want to testify, man. I've seen it. Seen it. I've walked in times where I have, shouldn't have been supposed to be there, but God just had me there. And um, just even recently, God had us just jump in and walk into a house and right then, there was a guy getting saved, <laughs> right there. And then another guy came in, and then this guy turned out to be a Christian, and then that person who was a Christian prayed over this guy who was getting saved. I mean, that's a Kairos moment, man. That's like, and I'm just seeing people's lives being changed. And I, I, I do think that we, we have to realize, yes, there is a lot of impossibilities, but that's where God has us because he wants us to be in a place where we're depending and needing God. God to do the impossible, amen? God to wake us out of what somebody said, our satanic lullaby over the American church and to be freed, freed from sexual sin, to live in sexual integrity to give people a double take because not only we choose it, but we choose it joyfully and willingly. It's when we live to give away ourselves and our things because we're freed of greed, we're freed of that materialism, we're freed of the things that would just hold us down and cause us to be distracted and not focused and to be drunk in our things and that we're called to live countercultural and to live this, this alien generosity and, and, and then also that we would live, try to fit into the culture, but that we would want to not just be cool Christians, but we want to want to be Christians that would be not afraid to be alien to this world if it means that somebody's, just like Lindsay's life, is changed. And so we got to be careful and we got to be bold that when we're raising our kids, and I've been thinking about this, that we are not called to raise our kids the same, same way as the world. Should we have them drink from the same movie theater if it feeds them anti-Christian themes over and over again? Should we have the same reaction to the poor and to those in prison um, as the world? Or should we be raising them to look at them through Jesus' eyes? And that's what the next point is about, which 
It's really about the Spirit of God that is working through us. But I'm gonna stop here because I just feel like we need to stop here. And I'm gonna invite the worship team. And I just really want us to stop here and I want us to start thinking about what is our idols? What thrills us? If we're really gonna live our countercultural lives through the Holy Spirit, what are we going to do with our idols? We've got to part with it, and we've got to counter the darkness. And so I just really want us to ask ourselves as we pray and as we um, just uh, reflect of just saying, God, how are you attacking the things that I love that you hate? God, help me not to just placate my idols or the things, my addictions, my sins. God, help me to lay down and really crucify uh, those things that would promise to thrill me but really would just use me and would block me from being just a countercultural um, Christian. And so let's go ahead and just uh, spend some time with the Lord as we um, want to encounter um, the word, but we also want, just want to encounter his spirit. And so let me just uh, invite you just into a time of asking this question, Lord, what are you impressing upon my heart in terms of countercultural Christianity? God, what sins am I tolerating, whether it be sexual sins or covetousness or immorality or filthy speech? which is all symptomatic of idolatry. Lord, where, what are things that you are calling me to address? God, will you just speak to me? Not what I want to hear, but what you need me to hear today. God, what lies am I believing and that these idols are saying to me that I need to put to rest and crucify? Jesus, I think we're all in the same boat in that we need wisdom. We need wisdom to discern what is good and true and right. And Lord, I pray that you increase our knowledge of the scriptures, but also that you would increase our wisdom 
Lord, that we would not be enthralled by the candy wrappers of this world, but we would be enthralled by your goodness, by your love, by your presence. And just give and ask the Lord to thrill you and give you a picture of what is right and good and true. Jesus, we praise you. We worship you. Ask that, Lord, you would meet us in this time. We just want to invite um, the prayer team to come forward, and if you have anything on your heart that the Lord has stirred in you, that you would come quickly for prayer. You know, the darkness is so easily rooted out by the light, and that sometimes it just means confessing or just sharing. And so I just want to encourage you to, to come quickly for prayer. Just be loved on, but also just to be encouraged that you don't walk this alone. And if there's anything that we can be praying for you, we just would really delight to pray for you in that. And, but uh, Father, will you just continue to meet us in this place as we worship you and pray over this time that you'd protect it. In the name of Jesus, amen.